Between the years of 2008 and 2016, we saw major areas of growth for society when it came to acceptance, liberation, and love of transgender people. The conversation seemed to just continue to evolve as well-known personalities came out and transitioned. The world was able to see the beauty that is transgender identity. Was it perfect? Oh, hell no. There were so many missteps and so many unnecessary, painful moments. But this was still an arguably good period of time for growth. Then came 2016. And for those of us doing this work, connected to the trans community, started to feel the heavy and dark truth about the objectives of the new administration. Many people cried on election day. And many people were told that they were stupid for crying. But for those of us in tears, we were terrified of what would come next. And time would only prove that we were right to be. You're listening to Camp Wildheart, your guide for raising a transgender child and nurturing an affirming family. I'm your host, Mackenzie Dunham. For the four years of the Trump administration, we would wake up every day and learn of another person who was killed or a new law that was being proposed or voted on that would strip us of our rights to work in a safe environment, play sports, marry who we love, which bathroom we can use. These were also laws that were trying to strip you of your right to decide what was right for your child. Then came 2020, and we were elated as the president-elect acknowledged and validated the existence of transgender individuals in his acceptance speech, and as the citizens of several communities elected transgender elected officials. And then the new president appointed a transgender doctor as the assistant secretary of health and human services. And we were all so tired that we mistakenly exhaled as news cycles returned to somewhat normal sounding. We knew that the attempts to take away the rights of trans people wouldn't stop. Whenever there's the risk of the loss of power and privilege, those with the power and privilege will fight for it. They can't stand the thought of it being diminished. Those with the power have been making moves for years. And last week, they landed a blow in the state of Arkansas. A majority of the state Senate passed the SAFE Act. SAFE stands for Saving Adolescents from Experimentation, which sounds like, sure, yeah, of course. I mean, who wouldn't want that? The problem is that the authors of the bill labeled perfectly regular, ordinary, common, yet life-saving medicine as experimentation. And with their votes, they outlawed access to medical supports for transition for transgender youth. The governor of Arkansas vetoed the bill, stating that it was unnecessary and that he had learned about the care of transgender kids and was moved to support their ability to access endocrinology care. Then, the next day, the Arkansas state legislature voted with an overwhelming majority to override the veto. And those of us who do this work are left feeling absolutely appalled and heartbroken on so many levels. And if there's one thing I've learned through the years of doing this work and sitting in this exact feeling is that the only thing that makes it any better is knowing that I'm not in this alone. So I sent a 911 to some of my fellow warriors and was comforted by their immediacy to show up for the kids, families, nurses, social workers, and doctors in Arkansas. 
and those who are also being threatened in a similar fashion in Texas and North Carolina. Joining me for this conversation are social workers Jess Guerrero and Clancy Roberts, and endocrinologists Karen Silva and Kara Conley. In this fight and in this grief, they're great company. Here's what they had to say. Let's just start with addressing, you know, I always feel like I got to address emotion first because we're emotional beings first. So I just want to start with Karen and Kara, all five of us, really. It's not just the, the two of you that woke up on, what day was it? When the, like Wednesday morning, Thursday morning? Uh, Wednesday all morning. Yeah, yeah, the veto was Monday. The override of the veto. Was Wednesday? Was Tuesday. Tuesday. The next Tuesday. day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just remember when it passed, I immediately thought like, well, we'll see if it gets vetoed. And then it got vetoed and I sort of did this like, (sighs) okay, sort of relaxed and felt like, see, the system's okay. Like, yeah, it sucks, but there's safety nets, there's checks. And then came that veto override. Mm -hmm. Very quickly after the veto with less less than 24 hours. And overwhelming numbers. Was it overwhelming numbers? I I stopped looking. Three to one, yeah. 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 Karen, did you stop looking just because I'm just asking, did you stop looking because it was too painful? I didn't look on Tuesday. I had the day off and then I found out Wednesday, like as I, you know, wake up and check everything and immediately started texting Kara. (laughs) But my husband, I was crying. I was super upset and I still get upset thinking about it. I just can't believe we're moving backwards. In 10 years, you've just seen these this medicine progress and we've done such a good job and the reason why we do it is the joy we bring to these families and these seeing kids succeed and it's just it's backwards it's just it's not moving forward and it's based on ignorance and i feel like it's based on hate and i don't know why they're taking it out on the kids because it's the kids who are going to suffer the most yeah i i keep saying that kids should never be the wedge that are used in cultural warfare, because that's what this is, really. It's an ideology. It's not even a political stance. And the thing that I feel like I've been sitting with really since January is for four years, I woke up to a new news story about how as a non-binary person, I'm not worth anything. I can't access help like or threats to that despite living in a state that has protections and then I naively naively is that the word yes um (laughs) breathed a sigh of relief on January 20th and I was like oh I know Biden is not the be-all end-all but this this feels different and 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 that's why these laws I feel like have an even bigger emotional punch to the gut because I let my guard down, right? And I was like, okay, great. Now we can have forward progress. And instead, rather than dedicating energy to care, because all of us could be holding patient meetings right now, let's be real, Mm -hmm. rather than devoting ourselves to care, we have to speak out against this because it is our ethical obligation and our deeply held belief that these kids deserve to live and live as who they are. And I, I really, I cannot understand that that's the place we have to start. 
there's a part of me that's like really fighting to justify my tears right now and sort of like being like, I'm really tired. And I've just come off like this four days of really intense emotional training. But kids shouldn't have to fight for this. They should get to be who they are and they shouldn't have to choose between dying and hiding and and grown-ups shouldn't do this to kids yeah grown-ups shouldn't do this to kids you're absolutely right clancy absolutely right but like where does one i don't know where does one get off thinking they can tell another parent i mean yes we have dhs and we don't want abuse in any shape form whatever but this, it just like rocks my soul that they will criminalize parents for this, or at least in theory will, and for supporting their child, for trying to save their kid's life. They just don't get it. I think that it's removing one of the people that loves the kid so much, um, and that's the healthcare provider, that we... As Karen was saying, we do this work because it's meaningful, um, it's important, and we enjoy becoming part of that kid's family and establishing relationships with the parents and helping them to make decisions for their kids with their kids, with their healthcare teams. And this is stripping that important person away from the kids, often right in the middle of um, a really important point in their lives. It's harmful. Yeah, and you know, if we think of a hypothetical case, and this is truly hypothetical, I'm not bringing in a real patient. <laughs> but like, I I find myself having to say things like, even in Oregon, even in Portland, because I think that there is this impression that we live in a bubble. And yes, we have pretty extensive insurance com- coverage. Yes, we have non-discrimination laws. Yes, we have access to affirming and not just affirming, like passionate, caring healthcare providers and therapists. Liberating. Liberating, Mm -hmm. yes. Um, And yes, technically there's protections in schools. But if we think of someone who, you know, this might sound like hyperbolic, but these are kids that we see, but like someone who's been kicked out of their family home because they came out, who lives in a geographically isolated area, who had to drop out of school because the bullying was so severe and no one intervened. That is a common story. And the other common story that we see from those folks is that these medical appointments, these medical providers, these therapists are lifelines and lifeboats in like the giant sinking ship of this society and thinking about what this care means to kids like the more that they have to fight to just be seen and that's just to be seen like that's not just that's that's not even including being loved or accepted to just be seen is energy that they do not have to pursue an education or to get employed and then what right? Like then we know what those statistics look like. And we're not even touching upon 
the suicidality of all of this. And yeah, I know we've suggested like kids deserve to live, but like that's a real threat. And the amount of youth and young adults who come through our clinics and say, I stayed alive because I knew I was gonna be meeting you at the end of the week is not a small amount. And I know that I can speak for Karen and my colleagues who are practicing pediatric endocrinologists in Arkansas, Texas, North Carolina, Alabama, our clinics are multidisciplinary clinics where we we provide more than just a prescription for a medicine. It's addressing all those things that Jess mentioned. It's advocating for the for that one that individual child and their family, and it's creating a safety net for them that is more than just medicine. It's not just blocking access to the doctors, it's blocking access to all of these resources that the kids need to be able to thrive in their lives and school and in relationships and in society. And that's one of the things that I'm afraid that people aren't seeing is that it, it goes way beyond the medicines. I mean, the, removing the, medic, the medications is horrifying, but it goes way beyond that. Yeah. I'm going to switch the gears just a little bit because you, Carrie, you sparked something that I really want to follow up on. And that's, can you or Karen speak to what medical experiences these kids in Arkansas are looking at in the next month or so without access to their meds that they've been on? Well, I'm just thinking of those little guys, the ones I just talked about on the podcast where we're suppressing their puberty. and pushing that pause button and it's a pause button. So if they don't get their next shot of their puberty suppressor, their body is going to go into puberty. And that's exactly when dysphoria worsens, when their bodies change in ways they really don't want. And we've been successful at preventing. And you can see a, a lot of distress. That's a big one. They're not on cross hormones. That's the only thing they're on. And their bodies, as my patient said, is going to defy them. And I think it's also extremely harmful to remove a puberty hormone that's in somebody's body. When we are prescribing hormones, we're, we're prescribing in replacement doses. So we're just replacing what their bodies aren't making enough of, not exceeding that. And so it would be like taking away somebody's hormones that they're in a cisgender person's hormones that their body is making. It feels horrible, fatigue, lower mood, difficulty concentrating, uh, and can interfere in all aspects of someone's life. So telling somebody, no, you can't fill your prescription anymore. That is, that's going to cause great harm right. physically, not to mention emotionally. Oh, emotionally, it, I, it would be a nightmare if that were to happen here. And I woke up one day and Every kid that I see that is on a hormone medication no longer had access to it. I honestly don't know what I would do. I think about the therapists in Arkansas who do this work, and I think like they just have to like they just have to be getting inundated with distraught crisis. families, crisis. Like just crisis after crisis after crisis. Kids that are just like I don't know what I'm going to do. Families that are, are that don't know what they're going to do because it's not just like some kid who's just trying to like got hooked up with some drugs. It's like the whole family was going through transition. And receiving medically necessary care. Yeah. As yeah. defined by international bodies, as defined by national societies Society. and... Multiple, multiple numbers and hundreds of studies are being published 
in transgender medicine, youth and adult. So much research is going on and we can't stress enough that this is not experimental. This is proven. We've done this medicine in kids who weren't transgender before. We know the safety of this medicine. We've used it in precocious puberty. We've replaced hormones in Kleinfelter's and in Turner's syndrome for any kid who can't make their hormones. We give it back. That's the beauty of endocrinology. And if you make too much, we know how to stop it. This is not experimental. We're not experimenting on youth. We're using medications that that we've been using for decades. And I think Karen said in your last podcast, um, 50 years, over 50 years, we've been using these medications. Probably even longer, because honestly, I got 40 years in fellowships. So <laughs> it's, it's even 60, probably, that we've been using, yeah. you know, GNRH agonists. And not, we haven't seen any long-term crazy outcomes from these. Yeah, they're safe. And if you look around the country at the way that the care is being provided, as, as Kara suggested, like, it's either multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary teams. And Clancy, I don't know if you want to comment at all, but like, we're not just handing hormones out on the street corner. I think that's a misconception. Like there is a process and there is such great care that goes into providing this care that, you know, Clancy and I are the first points of contact with many families. And I think a lot of them come in with that anxiety that we're just going to move forward without them. And it's not like these laws are actually protecting like parental rights, right? In fact, they're undermining them. So I don't know, Clancy, if you have anything to add there. When I read what is written about concerns around this care, it just feels so disconnected to the care that we're doing. It feels very much like people that have no concept of working with transgender, gender diverse young people and families, like get it and they're writing about it. So as I read it, I'm like, this doesn't, this doesn't jive with the care I feel so lucky to do. And it makes me want to say, like, if you meet, if you met this one kid that I'm seeing, and if you saw his family, or if you experienced the process, the emotional process they've gone through, like, you would also see that what you're saying doesn't line up and doesn't make sense. And I'm so lucky to get to work with all y'all in knowing that, like, 20, 30, 40, 50 hours a week, we are working with trans and gender diverse young people and their families. And in this virtual room, right, that's a lot of experience. And so the just the disconnect is so huge. Um, It's such a joy to be able to work with all of you in different ways and to be like, no, this care, we're very serious about making sure that we're seeing young people and their families and walking them through this process with them in this just really beautiful, joyous and hard way. Exactly. And the, you know, the amount of stories that we could tell here about the parents who come in six months after their kid starts hormones and says, this is the first time that my kid has smiled. This is the first time my kid has allowed me to hug them in seven years. We could we could go on and on. This or kids saying, "I'm so excited about the way that my voice dropped because now I feel like I can participate in choir, and I had been socially isolating, 
And I also just want to acknowledge like what we've all been through this last year. When I just think about how much we in this virtual room are, are holding and then thinking Mackenzie, as you said about like the therapists in Arkansas and hopefully not soon to be Texas and North Carolina, but like we're maxed <laughs> and we keep showing up and our systems that are supposed to protect us are failing. Our systems and adults that are supposed to protect youth are more than failing. They are actively doing harm. I, I wouldn't have been able to imagine that we'd be having the conversation where knowledgeable, caring, well-informed doctors who are providing necessary medical care based on research and a uh, long history of prescribing have to choose between their literal freedom, like they could go to jail, their livelihood, their own family's protection, and violating their oath because not providing this care is doing harm. Like, I don't know what my decision point would be. I'd like to think like, I'm gonna do this no matter what, but I won't rail against capitalism because that's a whole different tension. <laughs> but thanks for, a, thanks yeah. for pulling that one back to us. <laughs> it plays a role, right? Like there's something going on here where these people think they're gonna benefit in some way. These people being the those who promoted past, and pushed yeah. and wrote this yeah. legislation. Yeah. Yeah. Karen, Kara, you've both said like this is not experimentation. And I 1000% agree with that. And obviously, all of the research and literature would back us up on that point. Um, I want to know what y'all's thoughts are on the move of naming it how they, they named it a bill. The bill is named protecting kids from experimentation or something like that. And, and that right there is why it's disconnected to what it, the like it just doesn't add up to the care that we're doing, right? None of the language used, I can connect with any of the care that any of us are part of. Well, that's where they, they get you. That's where they get the people who might be on the fence or who, you know, if this is experimentation, well, we don't want experiments done on youth. So, of course, we're not going to, you know, let doctors do this. When those crazy groups say we're doing sex change operations on six-year-olds. I mean, come on. And you want to know the sad part is that, like, very educated people will hear something and believe it. Like, are you really doing surgery on young kids, Karen? No. 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 <laughs> It just is amazing. There's catchphrases. And uh, and as my colleague, Megan Bird, said, it, you know, these Republicans, I, I like Jess, too. I, I, will, I was like, okay, great. Biden's coming. He's such a transgender ally and advocate. He's putting someone in his cabinet. You know, he's friends with Sarah McBride. And he... And I was like, great, we're going to do great things these next four years. And I did not think that this would be happening. And um, she was like, you know, those Republicans are smart. Like, mm. this has probably been in the works for a while, for whatever reason. It's the G the grand old party or the great whatever GOP stands for. I don't even know. But like, <laughs> they are together. And they, you know, that's why so many states are bringing this up all at once. And it never even yeah. occurred to me, like, there's a bigger 
awful picture here that, and like you said, I think it's, or Clancy too, this is politics. And unfortunately the kids are the ones who are going to suffer the most. And so I, I don't know where the win is in this. Yeah. And that's what I want to encourage people to think about because this isn't actually popular legislation. I mean, I haven't seen the numbers of like how they've pulled people and whatever, but it's not. Um, I always challenge people to ask the question of what is this covering up or what is this distracting us from? And right now I think that there's so much focus on this and the sports bills and everything else that the voter suppression laws are being changed without a lot of public noise because things about kids are always going to take the front and center. And that is absolutely the way that it should be. It should not be in this way. It's save adolescents from experimentation. That's the name of the bill. Oh, yeah. Save adolescents from experimentation. Yeah. I think we can all agree that youth are marginalized in society. And then you have, you know, you, you're coming up with like the most marginalized of young people in this culture war. I wanted to say the reason why I was, I mean, I was devastated when I heard that it had been overridden, but I knew that that was likely going to happen, even though the governor, I, I, we just celebrated when the governor vetoed, primarily because that governor was voicing the fact that he had taken the information that he had gotten and learned more about these bills and learned about the medicine and the care that we're providing and decided that it was not, it wasn't a political move that, that needed to be taken. And we, I celebrated that. I didn't like that we had to even have the celebration in the first place, but it was, it felt good. Um, but given how much kind of support it, it had had before it reached the governor, I knew it would be overridden. And so when it had, it did, it did bring me down quite a bit, but I knew that it was happening. And I know that this is not the end of the story. We are going to keep fighting this. There are lawsuits that are in, in process right now to, to fight back against this. Uh, the bill in Arkansas, there's uh, multiple efforts from all kinds of people, medical people, physicians, parents, um, politicians who are speaking out against these bills in different states. I think we just need to keep mobilizing and educating and correcting misinformation. And I feel like we can. Uh, there's enough of us out there, as Jess mentioned, I think that these bills are not actually very popular. They're just getting a lot of attention um, and we need to correct the misinformation that they're spreading. And somehow reach the youth in those states. And I think Mackenzie's pretty cool. So I think that this has very, very far reach. So if you are a young person in Arkansas, in Texas, in North Carolina, in the 14 other states that currently have something on the books or moving forward. We're strangers to you, but there are five of us that care about you and want you to live and- And thrive. And thrive. Yeah, it's not just about living. It's hard to feel like the people who are should be protecting you are not protecting you. 
just the psychological impact of seeing your rights stripped away and your parents' rights stripped away cannot be understated. And we see it and we feel it. And if we could put you all on a bus and bring you here, we would. <laughs> and I also wanna speak to the folks who are in states like Oregon, because we've been trying to get traction to talk about this through various news outlets and, and whatnot. And there have been statements made about, well, I mean, this isn't relevant here. We have protections. And that is completely naive because these things become a cancer and they sweep through. And we saw it with, you know, anti-same-sex marriage bills and anti-LGBTQ abortion, uh, not abortion, adoption, <laughs> adoption bills. Um, it can happen anywhere. All it takes is for a change in the governor. And I don't mean to sound like chicken little here, but as an example, there's, um, there's a bill to basically mandate comprehensive education about LGBTQ issues in K through 12. And there were two teachers or one teacher and one administrator in Grants Pass that made completely vile comments about this. And we know that that particular school district is not a friendly one for our kids. With the sort of speed that misinformation travels, like it is very easy that people can get on this, this bandwagon. So it can happen here. And we need to kind of keep our foot here while also helping in the other areas. And I don't think we can minimize the amount of distress that kids are feeling who do live in states like Oregon, where we have protections in place. They're experiencing distress right now, even though they're able to access care, because the message that they're getting is that their lives aren't worth enough, aren't worth whatever political agenda is behind some of these things. And it's just a horrible message for them to be getting and that for them to, to feel like they're only able to access their care because they happen to live in Oregon, but all of their you know online friends who live in all these other states are now, this is gonna be taken away from them. It's, our patients bring it up every single day. They ask, is my care at risk of being taken away from me? Am I not gonna be able to see you anymore? They, they ask with tears because they're so scared and Clancy, I don't know if you've seen this recently, but in the intakes I've done in probably the past month, as these things have gotten more attention and traction, I'm getting that question regularly. And not only that question, but like the question of how are you, Jess, as a provider here holding up? Like we see that you're at the crosshairs too, or people like you are at the crosshairs. So I don't know what things have looked like on your end. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it was an interesting thing as January or as November was happening, right? Because that was a question that a lot of people were having and then January happened. Um, and I think I spend a lot of time just, uh, what, what can I do, right? What can I do in sharing space with young people and families that are looking at me this is a podcast, nobody right? So people see don't see no. me, but I'm making this face. Nobody can see me. Um, of 
you know, of just really holding all of that care and like, I see you and I'm here for you and I'm going to celebrate you. I don't know. I, I guess I call that a micro focus, right? How I can hold somebody within that and then also do the advocacy piece and the education, right? Like how to kind of hit this tremendous problem with as ma- at as many angles as possible. Because I think that's the question is, what do you do? What do you do when that fear comes up and really tend to that while also fighting as hard as possible to make sure that kids can keep getting this care, but also keep being seen? That's not what you asked me, Jess, but that's where I went with it. No, that's perfect. And, and that's real. And and I think part of dismantling the misinformation is, you know, letting people know what the wizard behind the curtain is and giving people insight into what your conversations look like. Again, we're not rushing through this. We're not just making stuff up as we go along. Each individual kid and family that comes before us, we are saying, where are you at? What do you need to move just a little bit more on the joy scale? What do you need to thrive? The reality is like the medications are huge, but they're small portion of what these folks need. And yet things like this, political environments like this, expand the amount of energy that has to go into getting that. Something you said just made me go back to something that you and I've talked about a lot. Um, The number one trigger of shame is unwanted identity. And the kids that are in my office right now are sitting here and they're talking about how the message that they're receiving from the government, from a large part of the political atmosphere from like half the country that's out there literally waving flags on their street corners is not only do you not matter, but we consider what's happening with you not to be natural, but freakish, right? It's an experimentation that there's nothing okay about it. I cannot imagine being a 14-year-old receiving that message. You already receive it from your peers. You might receive it from your family. (laughs) And every time you turn around, right? Like it's just one blow after the next. And you talk about cultural trauma. It makes me so angry when I think about like this being another one of those terrible chapters of these kids' stories. They don't deserve that. It's so wild to hold that narrative as a possible narrative with the kids' and the families that we all get to work with and just seeing these like amazing young people when they're able to be who they are and get care around who they are. Just uh, what that just frees up the joy, the interests, and then their own families, like what that kind of journey has been like, it is a beautiful thing that we get to be a part of and witness. There's everything beautiful about it in the most amazing way that it's like, it just doesn't line up with any of the narrative that's coming out around this with my experience of it. Yeah, absolutely. You're hundred percent right, Clancy. I think, and I think one of the things that I really would love for families of trans kids to know, like whether or not they're trans kids or families that we know and work with, 
I experience way more moments of joy in the work that I do than I do moments of like this. These are devastating moments, but the moments where we see kids like show up and they're like just over the moon, like check out my name change documents and like all of the super exciting things where they recognize that like somebody sees them, acknowledges them, validates them, loves them. It's just, there's nothing like it. Right. And when they're saying this at this age, they're asking for their family to be part of it. They could wait till 18 and do their thing, but they're saying, I want you to be along on this with me. Again, this law removes the family's ability to do that. If we want to look at like other precedent, like the Tavistock case out of the UK, originally it looked like, I mean, it wasn't going to criminalize or or punish providers, but it was a devastating blow to kids Mm -hmm. there. And it looked like parents were not going to have the ability to be the ones to consent and, and they won that appeal. So we're not even in alignment with some of the most conservative international laws that also aren't based on accurate information. But if that's like the barometer, you know. Well, I want to be mindful of our time. You've all given me already so much time today. And I know that you're, we're all very busy. Um, But I want to just give you a chance to say, and to send all of my love and energy to the kids in Arkansas and all the other kids where their sort of their rights are being attacked. I just want to know from each of you, give you a chance to say something, say your piece about what you'd love for those kids to know and hear. I think while everyone's thinking, the one thing that I forgot to highlight, but I think we've sort of hinted at is that we don't actually feel hopeless there are things that people on the ground can do and are doing with the lawsuits Kara mentioned, with creating informal care networks. And there are people outside of these states can do as well from giving direct financial support to the orgs on the ground, to writing letters, to signing on to what your professional organizations are putting out there, talking to your family members. Like this is where we need to take some risks here. And these kids are trusting us with their well-being and these kids are taking the ultimate risk in letting people into their lives who frankly might not deserve it and so we can have a difficult conversation at our family dinner tables on our family zoom calls because if we're able to change our tide you know it's going to make a difference i'll shut up now and then think about what i want to say to the, the kids I think everybody's mentioned this. There's some people in power that think they know, and there's a lot more people that do know and do see you. And there are a lot of adults that really get it and that care about your family, your kid, and aren't going to stop fighting so that you can be you in school, in your career, in your school play, and that you can grow up to be who you know yourself to be. And there's a lot of adults that aren't going to turn their back and that are going to keep fighting for you. Thanks, Clancy. For the, for the families who aren't in Oregon and the kids out not in Oregon, if I could reach them and 
and say, get on that bus and, and come here and we'll take care of you. That's what my heart wants to say. And I know that's not possible. But in the meantime, like Kara said, we're signing anything that come across comes across my way yes 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 i'll sign if i can talk to anybody if we can do things like this on the podcast and spread the word to know that we're supporting your kids and and the parents and the doctor patient relationship and our colleagues in those states that may be affected we're behind you and i hope we have your back i hope we will have your back with the fighting we want to do it's a learning curve. We're in medicine. I was never really, I didn't really like U.S. government <laughs> in, in high school. And I, I, um, I actually have a friend uh, who is in the, in, in the, at the Capitol. She's a councilwoman. I emailed her this morning and I haven't heard back yet. I asked her, what can we do? You know, as lay people who are not in, in, involved, like how can't like getting some advice on how to be an advocate. And I think we're reaching out to other organizations to help better support you. We really want to do that. But I, I also want to address the families and parents here because it really affected me. And I'm not even in those states and I'm sure it's affecting them. And I have a 14 year old son who spends a lot of time online and I know that he's meeting people through his different video games and anime and venues and stuff that are in other states and time zones. And so your kids, whether you know it or not, probably have trans friends in these other states. And just know that your kids are really empathetic and they're probably feeling some of that pain. And bring it up at your dinner table and and ask, you know, how would you want to get involved or what can we do for these kids? Um, and I think it might even bring bring you guys closer together or talk to us reach out to your doctors too but i'm sure these kids are are processing a lot here like our patients are for sure to kind of piggyback on what karen just said we're just going to keep fighting i know how strong we are um, as a community and how much passion there is for protecting this care it's backed by extensive research uh, it's not experimental and we just need to con continue to educate the rest of the country um, and those who, who haven't gotten that message yet or have been fed misinformation. I see my job as a physician to correct the misinformation and to educate as much as I can. So that's what we're gonna focus our attention on. Kara, who would have thought to med school that this is where we'd be at? You know, it's a whole new, whole new world. I mean, I've learned so much about the political system in the last four to six weeks. I have to say that prior to February of this year, I never really understood how a bill was passed. And now I do. Um, and I know the different steps where we can intervene. And I understand how I can be an advocate as a physician. And I am passionate about teaching my fellow physicians how to do the same. I think what I want to say, I'll, I have a few things. The first I'm is you have a few things. It's so. <laughs> um, the first is it's okay to feel tired. It's okay to see the dark cloud and feel it, and and give yourself permission to do that. I think when these things are moving so quickly, we don't, and then it just you know, spirals from there. So that's the first thing. 
as Clancy said, there are all these folks who see you and your family who are holding this and that even though this feels like a big load, there are a lot of justice warriors out there that can spread it. There's five of us on this podcast here. We're going to reach hopefully countless more. I believe that the right thing will win out. And I know that my right thing might be very different than the people who are trying to pass these laws. But again, if we go back to you deserve to live, parents, you deserve to have your kid live and thrive. I don't know how we can argue about that. So we're going to do what we can. We're going to protect what we have here in Oregon. And we're going to try to change what has already happened and stop what other people are trying to get through. We might be tired, but we're not quitting. We're not turning our backs. I think I love these people on this mm -hmm. call. And I, I know that we will keep trying to think about creative ways to let you know that the support is out there and more concrete ways to act. So, Yeah. Thanks, y'all. I appreciate all of you so much. Same. Same. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we're at. I'm tired and I'm going to keep being tired because our kids are too important to give up because I'm tired. It would be a betrayal to them, to you and to myself. If you're in a location that does not allow you to access care to treat your gender dysphoria, please do not lose hope. Keep fighting and know that you're not alone. Know that we're in it with you and we won't stop. One thing I know for sure is that the only creatures on earth that fight harder than social workers are parents. Let's get to work. Call your representatives, run for office, give money to organizations that are fighting back. For a list of credible organizations that you can donate to, as well as more information about this bill and other bills like it, please look in our show notes, as well as wildheartsociety.org slash podcast. It's time to unleash the mama bears and papasauruses. We'll keep bringing you ways to take action. You keep showing up for your kids. Thanks to Clancy, Jess, Kara, and Karen, and the whole Camp Wildheart team for making this conversation happen. And thanks to everyone for listening. Keep showing up. <laughs>